Are you going to leave London because you're worried about a nuclear bomb hitting the city? Or are you going to say, I'm on ecstasy right now. Who cares? Coming up on the Anti-Woke Podcast. I was listening to the Wired UK podcast, and they were talking about something interesting called micro-morts. So micro meaning one millionth, and then mort as in mortuary or mortal, like basically dead. And it's a way of quantifying how dangerous something is, how likely it is to kill you. And I think as a baseline, just a normal day, a normal person, you have about 20 micromorts each day. So I guess a 20 in 1 million chance of dying. And you know, like, exactly what does that mean? How are you going to picture that in your head? The answer is, you aren't. But what what is good about it is you can compare things. And I didn't write down the numbers, so I'll just go from memory. But for instance, they were talking about, like, what's more dangerous? Base jumping off a, whatever, a high, a high object, or living a day as a 90-year-old? And the answer was, being 90s, you know, one day of being 90 years old is a little more likely to kill you than a day where you go base jumping. I guess base jumping just one time, if you do it... Ten times in one day, that's going to be worse, or more, more dangerous. And I believe, if you don't know, I think base jumping is like skydiving, but instead of jumping out of an airplane, you jump off of something else, like a bridge that's super high up. And so, another way you can do these micro-morts is how far can you travel in a certain way, like, you know, by bicycle versus by car, and it, you know, that distance equals one micro-mort. And this is off of Wikipedia, I'll just read you these chances of... Having one micromort of death um, per mile, or you know, for how many miles can you go per micromort of the various types? Like the first one, the most dangerous one is motorcycle. So every six miles, you've added another micromort of danger to your life. So let's go through the list. So, motorcycle, every six miles. Walking, every 17 miles. Uh, bicycle every 20 miles so that's interesting motorcycle walking bicycle all pretty damn dangerous then by car every 250 miles so you can go a long ways without dying in a car and then this is the famous one how people say that flying is safer than driving so flying is every you can go a thousand miles so it's four times as safe as uh driving and then train is every 6,000 miles, so train is by far the safest. And what else do they say? Um, like skydiving didn't, I don't know the numbers, but anyway, skydiving was not really that dangerous. And swimming was surprisingly dangerous. And I don't know, they didn't go into it more. I'd like to know more about the swimming one. You know, I don't know, is it, is it all these kids who get left unattended? And they die, so if you're an adult, you're actually pretty safe. But, you know, a lot of this stuff, I think I think a lot of these numbers are for the whole world, right? It's not just, I don't know, where I live in America. So maybe it's including, like, you know, pearl divers in Indonesia. And, you know, they're, they're swimming and diving constantly, you know, every day for a living. And they die a lot. I don't, I don't know why swimming is so damn dangerous, but it is dang dangerous. Somewhere, somehow, some type of person is getting killed swimming all the time. And in Oregon, we have nice rivers where you can swim in the summer, and uh, 
every year, I don't know how many, probably five, probably five, ten Oregonians get killed swimming in the river each year. And I think like the, the famous thing that has the most micro morts of anything is climbing Mount Everest at 38,000 micro morts. And climbing other mountains is dangerous. Climbing mountains is incredibly dangerous. It's a sport and it's called mountaineering. And so they were kind of explaining all of this because, you know, what's the micro mort of nuclear war? And I wish I could remember the numbers better, but um, so they, you know, it's a, it's a UK podcast. They all live in London. So, you know, what's the chance of dying in a nuclear war if you live in London? You know, one of the cities that will probably be hit if we have full on nuclear war. Okay, I went back and listened to it. Um, they're saying one month of living in London right now is 40 micromorts because of nuclear war. I mean, you know, if you're driving drunk on a motorcycle, then you're doing way more micromorts than the chance of nuclear war. But for a comparison, I guess one month in London is equal to taking the drug ecstasy four times or going scuba diving four times. And then they were talking about something called super forecasters which apparently there are people who are better at forecasting whatever, anything you want, you know. Stock market going to go up. Is there going to be a war, etc. And I guess they don't go into this, but I think, you know, you want to be a super forecaster? Well, you make a bunch of forecasts, and then, you know, a year later they look and see if what you said came true, and then if it did, then, you know, you might get hired as one. And I believe governments hire them, probably rich companies. So there's a bunch of probability and statistics involved, but... That's how you figure out these nuclear war things, because it hasn't happened. A normal micromort is you look at how many people died swimming, and that's easy to calculate. But this one is like, what is the chance of something happening in the future that hasn't happened? Uh, that's where you get these super forecasters. So they're just estimates, guesses. You know, basically, the, it's the best guess that can be done by humans. The best predicting of the future that can be done by humans. I'm sure it's frequently wrong. But still pretty interesting. I was just thinking about bathroom keys at gas stations like it used to be a somewhat common thing that if you had to go to the bathroom you know you pull into a gas station and for whatever reason they used to build the gas stations so they were you had to go outdoors to get back into the building part of the building with the bathroom and this is before the homeless crisis I'm talking like 80s and stuff so I don't know why they locked it. I don't know. I guess you don't want to create a homeless person who wasn't going to be homeless otherwise because they start living in your bathroom. But the attendant would give you a key and it would usually it would be frequently attached to a heavy weight. And it's not like you couldn't steal a heavy weight. So I don't it wasn't to prevent theft. I think it was just because otherwise people would forget, put the key in their pocket, you know, and then drive away and whoops, lost another key. And I imagine it's kind of a regional thing. Um like in Oregon, I think Oregon is one of the two or three states where you don't pump your own gas. They have a gas jockey who comes out and pumps it for you. Uh, I just realized why you don't see that much anymore. It's not, not that interesting. But like starting in the 80s, they started attaching mini-marts to gas stations. And then you had to have a lot bigger building and, you know, more more employees. And I think then it's like, well, just put the bathroom indoors. You know, the entrance to the bathroom on the inside of the store. 
Although I feel like sometimes even they'll build a big old mini mart or something and they'll still put the bathroom outdoors. I don't know about that. Maybe something to do with code. Uh, I used to be an electrician and the building code book for electrical has a big section about buildings that have gasoline in them and storage of outdoor gasoline. Another thing that happened, I don't know if this is the whole country or just Oregon, it's probably probably both, but maybe 15 years ago, um, certain kinds of in-ground gasoline storage tanks got outlawed. And so a bunch of like the little mom and pop in the middle of nowhere gas stations had to either dig up, you know, had to replace their tank with some expensive modern tank or just close down. So a lot of those just closed down. Although the place I go in Southern Oregon sometimes, somehow they got a special dispensation. It is like it's a country store with the oldest gas thingy. I can't think of what that thing's called. Anyways, all of it's like crazy old grandfathered in somehow. And they now put a padlock on the thing where you take off the spigot. But for years, I mean, up until, I don't know, maybe five, ten years ago, and, you know, for 40 years before that, you could just drive up. It's not legal, but they would le they would let you fill your own tank. <laughs> and then you'd fill your own tank, and then you'd walk in and give them the money, and then you'd take off. And then, obviously, someone or too many people realized, hey, you can just pull up in the middle of the night, fill your tank, and... <laughs> take and not pay nothing and i'm glad now they now they have to come out to unlock it so they do the filling up for you like i lived in oregon my whole life i mean i've visited you know other countries and stuff but i never had a car in another country or or even much in another state so i just i'm not good at doing at filling my own tank i just i'm not like i was hanging out with some rich people in california once and I borrowed their like super expensive brand new car and I filled it up at the gas station and the gas cap that you're supposed to put back on when you're done, <laughs> I left it on top of the gas filler thingy and it was never seen from again. And I don't know, I guess they were rich so they didn't make me pay, but I'm sure that thing cost a couple hundred bucks and I felt stupid. Makes me a little gun shy about filling my own tank. And I was thinking of the restroom keys attached to barbells with a chain because of something that happened at the liquor store yesterday. Like, I used to drink only beer, like, period. But uh, I've been buying some liquor sometimes, and then I ran the math. You know, cheap liquor is one-third the cost of cheap beer per unit of alcohol. But anyways, I was buying some liquor, and I'm using my debit card. But for whatever reason, they're one of those places that has to run it like a credit card, so you have to sign something. You know, instead of typing in your pin, you got to sign something. And so on the counter, there's like three stacks of brown paper sacks. Like, you know, a little one, I guess, for pints, a medium one for fifths, and then a large one for half gallons. And I think they're like 10 cents a piece, so I just bring my own bag. Grocery store, I do not bring my own bag, but liquor store, I do. But every time, you buy, every time I buy something at the liquor store and he like needs me to sign the receipt, the guy grabs one of the little pint-sized paper brown bags, and he puts it in front of me, he puts the receipt on top of it, and then he hands me a pen so I can sign it. It's just one of those things, you know, with a ballpoint pen, it writes better if it has a, you know, not too hard, not too soft surface beneath it, beneath the paper. And then he, like, puts the paper sack back, and, I mean, it doesn't hurt the paper sack. I guess you could 
like take a piece of like charcoal and like you know kind of lightly rub across a paper sack if you got one there and you could emulate someone's signature but it just made me think like I don't know what it would be. Like, I could go on Amazon. I'm sure for, like, $5 on Amazon, I could go buy them, like, a dedicated signing your receipt pad, tablet, something. And I could give it to them, and maybe it would, you know, change the, the employees' lives for the better. And I was like, oh, you know, that might be too good of a thing. You might have to attach a heavy weight to it so no one takes off with your little signing a receipt pad. So that thought is what led to all the other crap previous in this podcast and actually now that i think about it i think he just uses the same paper sack as the same guy it's like the, the guy at the liquor store is like six foot four just you know what is special about that guy if you saw him you're like wow that guy's tall there's probably nothing else special about him but i think he's just he works there every day or something and i think he actually has a designated special little sack because he had a joke on it yesterday, because on one side of the sack it said, why do ghosts go to the bar? And then you flip the sack over, and he had on there written in pen, for the booze. And he was kind of making a little game of it, like, I don't know, he'd let you answer. Answer the question before he gave you the punchline. And so he said last week, he's like, oh, you know, Halloween's coming up, um, I'm doing a different joke each week. And last week it was, why do witches don't like playing baseball and he gave me time to think and I thought for a second and I said something to do with bats and I think the punchline was because bats fly away and so I decided to tell him a joke to return the favor and you know how everyone like hears jokes but then you're like you know tell me a joke you're like I can't remember any well I'm the same like that but so there's just this joke from when I was a kid this isn't a good joke this is a crude joke but now I was a kid, I thought it was funny. And so, and for whatever reason, it's the one I remember. So here's that joke. Why did Helen Keller's dog commit suicide? Answer, you'd commit suicide too if your name was... Twitter handle, at Anti-Woke Podcast, and thanks for listening.